Hello. Yo, Marty Casey. What's going on? What's up, Abe? How you been? I'm good, man. I haven't. I, I I've seen you a couple. T- I've seen you a couple times since this incident. But do you remember the incident where Ryan Mano and I were at the Cubs game, and you came walking up, and we had stolen your seats. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I totally forgot about that, but I was walking up. We're going to like we had really good seats. I'm all psyched, and I'm like, "Oh man, who are these? Who are these jags in our?" Yeah, there's two assholes in my seats. You know, and and like you're a pretty menacing looking character. So for not getting an eyes on you, (laughs) am I going to have to go fisticuffs with some some dude to get my own seats? And uh, I remember walking up and getting closer and closer, and I couldn't believe it's you and Mano <laughs> out of 40,000 seats, and you, you sold my exact two seats on, on the rail, too. Yeah, and we so we were sitting, like, somewhere near those seats, but we were directly behind the pole, which is ridiculous. If you go to Wrigley Field, they, they sell seats that are directly behind that pole. It's huge. You can't see anything. Yeah, and it's, the terrible thing is they sell them, and they don't say that it's obstructed view, and it's literally covering home plate. They're like these are great. These yeah, are great. So it's it saved the embarrassment because when someone I, I, Marty, have you ever stolen seats at a game or a concert before? Oh, absolutely. Is there anything worse than when the actual person who has the ticket rolls up and then they show you the ticket and you have to like put your it's it's like it's like walking out of one of those those peep show jerk off booths or something like you have your head down. <laughs> I did. It actually just happened to me. I went to see uh, Old Boy Chips Enough. Uh, in the western suburbs, I think it was last week or the week before, and you know they had a good turnout, but there's a lot of seats. It's a big old theater, and I'm sitting, you know, in this one section. I'm like, man, I really just for for the enough enough hits. I want to go right up front because I could tell the second row there was like a, a row that wasn't taken. You know, whoever was supposed to show. So I go up, and some old miser literally comes up to me. He's like, those aren't your seats. <laughs> and I'm like, there's, there's a whole row empty. I said, I just, I'm just coming up here to see the hits. He's like, go back, to, go back to your row. You're the only guy who ever got kicked out of seats at an Enough's Enough concert. <laughs> 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 and then I'm like, come on. So I just then went around to the other side and, and enjoyed those hits. Fly high, Michelle. So. If you don't know who this is, this is Marty Casey. He's in the band The Love Hammers. Now he has a solo album coming out. And I love the video for the song La La La. If um I'll put it can I put the song at the end of this podcast so people could hear it? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'll put it at the end and then also you could just type in Marty Casey on YouTube. I, I guess that's the best way to find the video, right? YouTube or Vivo? Yeah, straight up. Being a musician, do you the, the Chris Cornell thing must have hit you hard, right? Absolutely. It really swept me off my feet. And I thought Bowie was a big one. My wife had, I remember she woke me up and she said, you know, Bowie died and it definitely had a significant effect, but not quite like the one that Cornell found out. uh, When I found out Cornell died, maybe just because it was my generation, it was my, you know, putting in uh, a couple bucks in the jukebox and playing Super Unknown, the whole album over and over at a bar and making everybody angry. Um, you know, and just, you know, one of my best buds, Jim, like we just listened to the album over and over, like at least once a day for months. So it felt like it was, I really felt like, you know, that scenario where you feel like he's a friend in your head. You don't really know him. I never met him. I've seen him perform, you know, from, uh, 
from way back in the crowd, but he really felt like a friend in my head just because I connected so much with his music. So it really, it, it knocked me out last week. It was, it was brutal. Do you think it's necessary for every artist to do a tribute? Like, for instance, Megadeth, they did a tribute to Chris Cornell, and like 10 seconds into it, Dave Mustaine's like, fuck you, asshole! Get shut! Don't be uncool, man! Fuck you! Like, he's screaming at the crowd because they're yelling something. Like, shouldn't certain people just maybe mention Chris Cornell? Like, they don't have to do a song. I think there's this, in the age of, like, social media, people feel compelled maybe that they have to. Like they're making it about them type thing? I don't know if they're making it about them, but they feel compelled, like, well, in order to correctly uh, comment on his passing, we must do a, a tribute. And I think that's best left for really those that, you know, a, either can execute it really well and just aren't throwing something together or maybe have played with them and they have a direct connection. That's when I find, like, if I'm waiting for the Eddie better one. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for those that, like, you know, the Tom Morello from uh, from Rage and Audio Slave. Like, those ones, I'm like, okay, I really want to see. But everybody doing one, at, you, know, you pop into Cubby Bear on uh, Friday and, and each of the three bands are going to be covering the Chris Cornell. <laughs> I think is a little aggressive, I, I you know, and – but I, I respect that they do it, but I think it should be left for those. Is if you can't, you know, Chris Cornell is kind of like you're trying, you're, you're you're entertaining the voice of a god and attempting to do one of his songs. So you really better bring it if you're even going to attempt. Yeah, Dave Mustaine's attempt was pathetic, and like Dream Theater did a tribute to Chris Cornell, and the guy forgot the he he did Black Hole Sun. Okay, if there's one Sun Garden song that everyone knows the lyrics to, it's Black Hole Sun, and he forgot the lyrics to Black Hole Sun. That's when you're trying just a little too hard, <laughs> you know. That's when you're you're like, that's when you just say, hey, let's maybe just make a comment and burn a candle, and that's plenty of respect. But it's that it's that trying to throw it out there really quickly, uh, maybe just to appease your fans or maybe what you think people need need you to do cover a Chris Cornell song. I, I don't know. It, I, usually I don't, I usually don't comment on anything online of anybody's passing. You know, it's just not my thing. I usually yeah. don't, but this is one that I, I felt compelled. This is really the first one that I ever actually said something, you know, to, to my friends and stuff. I, it just compelled me to do it, but typically I don't, I don't say anything about crazy things that typically happen. I don't know anything politically to really like jump in and say, this is what I think of this massacre. I, I don't know enough or a yeah. lot about it. So I don't say anything. And I, and it's overwhelming to have to read everybody's um, like commentary and that sort of stuff. But you know, that's, that's where we live now. I think just in general, people feel like, Oh, everyone, my, my Facebook audience is waiting for me to say something. They, they, they got to hear my thoughts on this, this Manchester massacre. They got to hear my thoughts on Chris Cornell. They got to hear my thoughts on uh, James Bond dying today. Roger uh, Moore. Um, they, people just think people want their opinion, but no one really wants it. Like, just let it, let it go. Like, I, I'm just waiting for people to start covering Ariana Grande songs this week because of this oh. massacre. Oh, do you like, think? Do you think people feel like a responsibility to have to say something? Do you think it's like, well, I'm a, if I don't say something, people are going to think I don't care. Is it that, or is the weird thing is, how about when Facebook has come up with like some sort of easy like fix, and you can make your picture 
you know, pink to, to protest the massacre. Like, yeah. they jump in on it like, hey, everybody, here's a filter for Manchester. That's also an interesting new concept of everybody do this because, you know, we want everybody to share that they understand what's going on. It's like we're almost they almost require us to respond to everything. I think when there's a terrorist attack, you should only comment if you're anti like, in other words, everyone should care, right? So if you don't give a shit about a terrorist attack or a massacre, then you should post. Like, I just assume that Marty Casey thinks that this massacre was horrible. I assume that my brother thinks this massacre was horrible. So I think only if you're an asshole and you have a problem with it and 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 and, and you want to say something negative about it, then you should post so then that we know you're an asshole and I can unfollow you on Facebook. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, there's so much, you know, when an event happens, everything kind of turns directionally into people having opinions and stuff they really don't understand or maybe they blame a group that they really don't know what group has done it yet. Um, so it, it's everybody jumping in, and it is tough because there's a lot of novice opinion, like mine would be if I make any sort of commentary on something like that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't understand the dynamics of really what's going on to start laying opinions and pointing fingers. Yeah, I think most people dive right in and start pointing fingers and what needs to be done to resolve it. And I just don't know if that's Facebook's place to 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 give me direction of, of what I should think of an incident. Plus, if you're a musician, it's really dumb to give a political opinion because you're losing half your audience. Like, some guy might love your music, but he, like, you know, he hates Obama or something. And then if you just say something like, oh, man, I'm going to miss President Obama. He was the best president of my lifetime. Fuck you, man. You don't know shit, yeah. man. This is Trump's time, man. Fuck the love hammers. Fuck Marty Casey's new solo album. Fuck la la la, man. He could eat a dick. <laughs> so you just. You know, it's, it's true. I just had a politician from Indiana that liked a song called It's Our Time that I released like a couple of years back. And he wanted to use it for his political campaign. And at first I said, yeah, that sounds great. You know, to be on TV in Indiana. And then my manager, TJ Sagan, he's like, Man, just like you said, Abe, he said, you're going to lose half your crowd. And I already kind of said I, I would do it, so I was, I was still going to move forward with it. But in the end, never got through actually licensing the song and paying for it and all that. But I was like, man, this is ground that I'm not used to, and you can't just jump into that because you're so right. Normally, you're, really, uh, you're going to annihilate half your fan base that easy. Like nothing else you could do. You're just going to annihilate half your fans. I don't know much else you could do in that kind of format to just lose half your fans immediately. Let's run to something else, because as a rock star, you're, you're always wearing cool clothes and stuff. You're very fashionable. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on the onesie that a lot of guys are wearing now. <laughs> I, I hope I hope you're not going to say that you love it and you're currently wearing one, but I'd love to hear your opinion. <laughs> no, I think... I don't, I can't believe, I heard they came out of Chicago, like it was a, maybe a designer or a company out of Chicago, but you know, as everyone knows, it's absolutely ridiculous, but I think it's every college kid's dream to go on a beer crawl <laughs> or a pub crawl and, and wear one of those things, because it's a, it's a guaranteed costume, but it's nothing like 
you know those really tight mesh one-piece orange or green that cover you from head-to-toe outfits? Oh, yeah, like from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the green. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather see that take over the world than the onesie because that's really taking it over to the top. The onesie. But wait, wait, I'm not talking about the full length one. The new one, it's like these like Indiana Jones length shorts and it's like a t- it's like a one piece p- picture like a Ghostbusters costume with the the like the arms and legs cut off. Like it's short sleeves and shorts. Yeah, my wife wears those. It's called a romper. Exactly. That's what it's, it's for. It, it should be for women. It's that's guaranteed for women. That's kind. That's equivalent of saying I'm I'm a man and I'm comfortable wearing a bikini. <laughs> it's the same thing. So coming from a guy who's literally dressed the exact same way since I was 13, I'm 35 now. So for 20 years, I've been wearing black T-shirts and jeans, right? So any picture I look at, I mean, I don't look awesome or anything, but I never cringe at my pictures. You who you, you're very fashionable. Do you ever look back at pictures from like 10 years ago? Or, you know, 20 years ago, and you're like, oh, fuck, what was that? Oh, my God, absolutely. And especially... Like, what look in particular were you rocking that you wish you didn't? Oh, my God, here's the look. After the Rockstar NXS show, there was this thing where where ladies would give me, like, garters. Like, that was a thing. (laughs) And they'd, like... And they would put, like, interesting, like, uh, little trinkets on the end of it, like a guitar... Or like you know, a musical note, and so they give me all these things at, at the end of the show, kind of like back in the uh, Elvis days, they would throw panties on stage. Yeah. Well, I would get all these garters, and during the course of the show, I thought it was cool. I'm like, oh, I'm, look at this! I'm this is I never seen this before. Wow! So I'm putting them all up on my arm. So I got a whole gaggle of these things going from like my shoulder all the way to my wrist. And I remember looking back at those pictures and looking so terrible, <laughs> like the this t- really so over the top and in absolute embarrassment. And it's the one photo my wife keeps. Like you know, this is far before I met my wife, but it's the one photo she keeps that it, it's kind of wherever in a in a disgruntled situation and you know having an argument about whatever, she's gonna pull out that photo and just be like, "This is who you are right here. <laughs> bring me right." Bring me right back down, right back down to earth, and she'd be like, "Yeah, you think you're so and so, but this, this is you. This is, this is who I married." Did you ever get into that whole like um, those like affliction shirts? Because I feel like every rocker at some point started wearing affliction shirts. They started wearing the uh, like the bedazzled jeans with the big cross on the back. Did you ever get into any of that? Oof, I never did the bedazzled jeans, but definitely. It wasn't affliction, but you remember there were so many different brands of the same exact Yeah, like thing. skull and crossbones or something. Yeah, and it, but, but it's all bedazzled. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because on the show, you know, we had all these designers come in and like Ed Hardy, and, and they would actually come on the show and say, hey, here's all our coolest, latest stuff. Just grab whatever you want and wear it. And that's another thing, you know, on the show is just some of the things you chose because you have unlimited possibilities. You know, first week it's jeans. Then you're like, I wore jeans last week. Now I need jeans with a pinstripe. <laughs> you got bedazzled, you know, you got a bedazzled headdress. Or you got, a, you know, the uh, Canadian tuxedo that's, you know, bedazzled from head to toe with, with rocker paraphernalia on it. So, yeah, it was, you, you kind of take it. And each week you got to get crazier. So that's the thing with style. You always think you got it more and more and more and more. 
and then you end up looking like a complete jagoff. People who aren't familiar with you, you were on a show called Rockstar in Excess, and what they were doing was in Excess was looking to replace Michael Hutchins, which is impossible. You can't replace Michael Hutchins. That's just like an impossible task. And and they can't tried to do Jim it. Morrison can't replace Michael Hutchins. Yeah, it, it's just impossible. You can't replace Chris Cornell. Like Soundgarden can't go on tour now with like the guy from Candlebox. <laughs> <laughs> but so tell I, I, I like that show and, and I always found it interesting that like the remaining member members of NXS, they were always like sitting on a throne when they would talk to you like uh J D, Marty, Mig. Uh, like just the way they would, t- it's like they're the kings. It was just, it was such a weird. I felt like it was weird that they were sitting on thrones all the time. I think it was because Mark Burnett was the creator who did Survivor, and he's a smart guy. But he said, "Hey, I want to take Survivor, which is really popular, and I want to take American Idol, which is really popular, and I want to combine the two into one show." So that's basically what it was. So you're right; it was very thronish. And then, you know, kind of putting out your fire. You are not the rock star. Yeah. Mig. So it's kind of done exactly like that. Just like you said, that was the whole, it was basically Survivor meets American Idol. So it was perfect because you didn't want to be a loser and finish third. You didn't want to win. You finished second place. You were the runner up. And that's obvious. That was the best place for you to finish, I think, because it gave you exposure. You didn't have to be the new singer of NXS. And you don't want to finish third like that guy, Mig. Like, what happened to that guy? Are you friends with that guy, Mig? Yeah, he came to my wedding. He travels more than anybody <laughs> than anybody on the show. He plays like he's half, I believe, Filipino, and then he's Australian, but he's from London. So he's like got this unique thing. So he's just like every time I I look at him online, he's literally flying to a different part of the world performing. Are you impressed that I remember Mig? Yeah, you just named off like half the contestants on the show. <laughs> I think you have it actually freaked me out. Is that guy JD still the singer of In Excess? No, he got fired in like 2010, and he lives in his car again. He, right now, he lives in his car. Yeah. Why? Like, he, there's just nothing for him. Yeah, you know what? Here's the thing. I just, I just, I am, you know, always want to keep in touch with everybody that's on the show. It's like your 15 buddies that you made at summer camp and, and, you know, years go by and you lose touch, but he lost a gig, uh, within excess. They ended up hiring some other singer from Canada and that didn't work out for about six months. So they just said, we're done. And then JD went out and started his own band and that kind of didn't, it had one gig and it kind of fell apart. And now he's, he's doing an Elvis, uh, tribute show. <laughs> At a, at a casino in Canada for one weekend in June. At least that's something, right? Yeah. I, did, I didn't mind that song. It ain't pretty. Da, 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 da. It, that wasn't a bad song. That pretty Was it Pretty Vegas or Dirty Vegas or something? Pretty Vegas. That was a good, that was a hit. Bonafide hit. You know what I thought was funny? I've, I think I've known you since 2001 because that's when I started at Q101. I met you, I think, right when I started at Q101. And... The song Trees was out forever, right? And then when you were on the show Rockstar in Excess, it said Trees, written by Marty Casey, and and then it had all the members, the current members of NXS. Like, why did they take a writing credit on your song? They didn't. They didn't. I, I don't. I don't know if they ever did actually take a credit. I know that the only guys that got credit were the Love Hammers. Because it said it said like in the credits, like 
your original song, Mig's original song, and JD's original song, it all said in the credits, like, in excess, were co-writers. You know what, though? Here's the thing. To get on the show, you had to sign this agreement. You know, it's, we're talking a thousand page long. And they wanted to own all your rights of all your music that you wrote before you ever got on Rockstar. Wow. Everything. They said the contract is not negotiable. You can either take it or leave it if you want to be on the show. I actually said, I will take everything, but I'm not giving you any of my catalog, period. That's just not an option. And I'd have to say, no, thank you, if you're not going to do that, because I have you know four albums out at that point or something with the Love Hammers. I said, I'm not just giving you all my catalog to get on this show. Yeah, plus all the other guys in the band, too. It's like, oh, they give up their rights, too, then, just for no reason? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is so... I remember it said something in the contract, like, my family had to sign it, and the rights extended to, like, not the supernatural, but, like, the super something, like, meaning beyond this galaxy their rights to like ownership of your life story is beyond the earth. <laughs> that, it had some writing in there. And my, or my mom and dad called me like, what is super, you know, super, what a uh, terrestrial super, what does super terrestrial mean? I'm like, I don't know. Just sign it. We've got to get on this. Show. Yeah. I have to get on Rockstar in excess. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a lot of like, did you get a lot of weird fans, both male and female, like stalker types? Absolutely. Was it more guys or women? Uh, I, it was definitely more women, and they would, like, say, show up at my brother's house in, in the wee hours in the morning knocking, and then when he answers, they're like, is Marty here? And my brother would be like, I'm his brother. He doesn't live here. Why are you here? <laughs> oh, I'm here to have sex with him. I remember we in Portland, just we were, had two nights at a casino we were playing, and just walking in my room, and there's there's a uh, a, a lady in my bed, in my room. Just wow. Yeah, which is you know in your in your eye in your like mind's eye you think oh this is like a total rock star story. It's never that case. It's never that person that you 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 think of making it a glorious story. It's always a very scary kind of uh, mobile home essence kind of uh, freaky moment. Yeah, it's not like Kate Hudson laying there ready to have sex. Exactly. It's like absolutely like freaks you out and you your response is, you know, like somebody's in your home and you, and, and you didn't know, a stranger. She was naked? No, she wasn't naked, but she was just sitting in my bed, you know, just like like leaning up against the headboard and sitting there and I literally walk in, she's just like, Oh hello! <laughs> what? <laughs> like, and it's not like, what are you doing here? It's like, get the f out of my room! How did you get in here? Oh, you did that? You weren't even nice to her? A big fan? Uh, really? A big fan <laughs> that somehow gets in your room? Yeah, no. It, See, it, I, you know, kind of resolve that. See, that shows the difference between a rock star and a normal person. Like, has that happened to you before? Is that the only time? Uh, something like that, that was the only time of that. Because I think if any other guy listening had that situation, he would at least, was she disgusting? Was that maybe part of it? Yeah, you know, it definitely was, you know, working in that direction. Okay, well, that makes sense then, I guess. Because that's just every guy. Like, if she was Kate Hudson laying there, I guarantee you wouldn't have, you would have at least been nice about it. 
you would have said, well, maybe you and I could hang out after the show. You wouldn't just be like, get the fuck out of here. I think, yeah, you know, you, you have to get a read on, on the character that you're, you know, it's when you walk in an alley, it's dependent on the person that's walking towards you kind of, you know, creates your level of nervousness, uh, you know, about walking down that dark alley. So this one was like, like I said, it was like trailer park home <laughs> and it was frightening. So my reaction was kind of like uh, defenses are defenses are high. I feel like being married is actually better for a rock star than being single. Do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. 100%. Because like you, I feel like you, con- you now you're concentrating probably way more on your music. You're not worried about partying, getting laid, whatever else, right? I think it's uh, like it all goes hand in hand. It's not like when you're single, you're just focused on women. When you're single, you're focused on women. You're focused on partying. You're, you know, you're not focused on like tomorrow at all. You know, you, if we, the love members lived really hardcore and we loved every minute of it, but it was really the classic rock and roll, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, we didn't care. We didn't care about, it wasn't like, what are we going to do for our career tonight? You know, what are we going to build or what, you know, what, what's next? It was just like, we had a great party last Saturday and hopefully this weekend we can make it Friday and Saturday and have people from uh, Indiana camp in our backyard when we do a pig roast and offer free beer for our double door show. I want to play this song La 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 real quick and then I want to talk about it. song about a girl that I love, but it's not easy for a guy like me. The melody comes quick, but the words don't fall to the places where they need to be. I've got a paper and a pen, but there's nothing in the end that comes close to what you mean to me. So I say, la, la. If I bought you a card, it would say a lot of things, but it can never say everything. When you're looking in my eyes, it should come as no surprise that we belong together, together for life. Got a piano in the room and it's falling out of tune, but not as easily as I've been falling for you. So
I could see that song being in like a movie soundtrack, like two people riding bikes down the beach. <laughs> like you, you should pitch that to movies. Like that's the perfect love song for two people riding their bikes down the beach. Yeah, it's like if, if anybody needs a beach bike riding song, this is. Just- <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's like Randy Newman, Randy Newman-ish, and like sweet and polite and easy. It's a very easy, easy breezy song. So I, I feel I like, like I feel like stations like The Mix would be all over a song like this. Yeah, we're kind of counting on when we release the record uh, on May 26th, kind of seeing the fan reaction to the songs overall, and basically the one that people feel are they're being directed towards. That's kind of the one we're going to go after and go to radio. But I agree, that's a perfect 1019 type of vibe. Absolutely. Play it alongside of like a John Mayer type of tune. Yeah, exactly. That type of format would be perfect. And What's, you know the, dif- the difficulties in radio. You've been in radio what, 20, 20 years? or Like 16, 20, 16 years, yeah. Yeah, like you, you know, like the, the ups and downs. and the, It's amazing like, that you've remained in the game for so long and, and succeeded in it. That doesn't happen for many. I can tell you, you know, especially in Chicago, having known radio, how did you, how did you manage to kind of surf the climate of radio and, and exist? It, it just, you, you just go from one thing to another and you just, you know, whatever's going on, you just try to embrace it. I think doing that, the show on the Howard 101 for those three years, I think that, you know, that's, to, that, that's what really got me, I think, to the next level. Um. But, yeah, I mean, now I'm at The Loop, like the biggest rock station in Chicago. So, I, I don't know. I guess there's no answer. You just, some and people, some people just keep doing it and some people don't. Well before anybody else kind of trended on the podcasting, you understood, like, how, you understood that. You understood it was the next thing coming. Well, I think I've been podcasting since 2008. That's, wow. Yeah, actually... The way I got on the Howard Stern channel was I was doing not this podcast, but I was just doing a podcast that was more like a traditional radio show. And based off that podcast, I was doing that in my bedroom. Like I, I was, I was out of work. I'm like, I want to work with these guys, Ryan Mano, my brother and bass. Like these are the guys I want to do a show with. And we just did it. And the greatest of all time, Howard Stern heard it and put us on his channel. So, I mean, that kind of, you know, wow. So it's, it's, it's a lot of it's luck. He's like, this is the next generation probably kind of thinking of himself. Like these are some, like some, some young dudes literally in their bedroom making magic, you know, like a new podcast formula happen. Pretty cool. Cheers to you, brother. Thanks, man. Um, so tell me about this song. You wrote it in Nashville or you recorded it in Nashville. This is one of the songs on the album. I didn't write this, a, a confection like this. Was written Marty Fredrickson's really well-known songwriter. That's the guy that produced my record. You know, he's written a bunch of Aerosmith stuff and produced Aerosmith records and written Buck Cherry stuff. He wrote the song "Sorry" for Buck Cherry. Oh wow! And wrote the Gavin Rosdale hit. Uh, he, he wrote a Carrie Underwood hit. Wait, he wrote like Glycerine or something? He wrote um, whatever Gavin Rosdale's solo hit was. He oh okay. Solo hit in like 2009. He had a huge, huge hit. And um, so he's done all this writing. He, I actually asked him for a song when we were starting. To, when I wanted to do a solo record, I said, do you have a great song that I could use for this record? Because need, you need a hit. You need a big-ass, unbelievable hit. 
And he said, he said, this is the song he sent me. And then I loved it so much. I'm like, I want to record this and like present it, like play it for my wife and then ask her to marry me. That's like how much I wow. love this song. And then he said, well, we'll, well, he said, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. That was back <laughs> in 2015. But it was such a great song. They kind of keep these songs. He wrote it with a, a girl named Cara Diaguardi. Do you know Cara Diaguardi? Oh, yeah, from American Idol. Exactly. She's like the songwriter that did all the, the huge stuff for like Britney and all, like just huge number ones. She's got so many number ones. She's basically retired by 40. And the, <laughs> one, time I, the one time I met her in 2006, she, got, she was late to dinner with Marty Fredrickson and I because she had to stop. She saw a Land Rover she liked, you know, the ones that they, like, drive up and they're, like, pitched up and you could see the undercarriage of the Land Rover. Yeah. Well, she, like, pulled over to the side of the road. She saw the color she liked. So she just called the dealership, never went in, and ordered the car, like, on the side of the road. So she has, like, millions and millions of dollars. Beyond. Like, this is the songwriter to the top of the degree of songwriters in the time period up through like 2010 when songwriting really paid off she that she she literally got to retire by 40 so like, you're so you're like rihanna now you're having other people write you hits yeah they, well this is the one this would be the one that i could, would consider on the record that is just kind of an undeniable how does and, that work so when you like could that guy not is he not a singer or Marty Fredrickson? The guy who wrote La La La. Is he, he's not a great singer, or why doesn't he just, I never understood why, like uh, Sia or something, like she wrote songs, and like even uh, Dia Guardi, like she was a good singer when she was on American Idol. She actually sang at the, I don't know if you remember that, at the finale she was singing, and she sounds pretty good. Like you wonder why, if you have this great hit, why would you give it to someone? Well, here's what the songwriters that have had success told me. You know, say you write a song for uh, Kelly Clarkson that is probably going to be a number one hit when she releases, or Rihanna. The songwriter sits with Rihanna for two hours, and, you know, they might, like, what does she want? What's her life about? So they write the song for her. It takes two hours. They submit it. Rihanna goes and records it. Rihanna goes and releases the record and puts a million dollars behind it. Rihanna goes and plays every single night. Rihanna makes a video for it. Renata, Rihanna uh, hires a band and puts them on the road in tour buses and manages all that. And then in the end, the songwriter that spent two hours on it makes the money off of all that work that Rihanna did. The songwriter makes all the money on the song. So if you're lazy like me, songwriting is the way to go. Yeah, and no matter how old you are, you're never too old. Because as long as you're a great songwriter... You know, you, you could keep going and going. You're not the face of the project, so you don't have to be 19 years old. You could be, you know, 45, 50 years old writing great songs and, and living wherever you want and then submitting them to your publishing company and making money year after year and then writing 100 more that year instead of playing that one song on the road, hoping that it's success and make money at it. So songwriting is like the keys of the kingdom, the gods that really run the industry, and the people that, like, the, in, in the history of songwriting are really the ones that have become mammoth multimillionaires. Wow. Yeah. It the makes sense. Country music now, I did this record in Nashville. You just get pitched a ton of songs. There's all these songwriters that just all they want is just to get songs, you know, on albums. And uh, that, that's what they do for a living. They get paid when they start, like, say, 25 grand a year. 
and they have to submit this many songs a month to their publishing company. And then hopefully they land a few or, you know, get them on an album. And then maybe one of them's a single for one of those country guys. And then they move to the next level. They get signed again the next year and they make 150 grand. Man. And then they have some success and they get, you know, two number ones out of those, all those songs they submit from two different big country artists. And then they get signed for um, uh, $1.5 million for, for ownership, you know, of their future catalog. And then they have to write this many songs a month. And so it's a big part of the game. And that's why, that's why I think uh, Nashville is doing so well as far as music, because the machine still works down there. Songwriters write, musicians and uh, the, the singers perform, and, and the, the wheels go around. You know what I like about the way you promote your stuff? You don't use, like, 75 hashtags. Like, you don't put hashtag Nashville, hashtag Marty, hashtag love song, hashtag la la la, hashtag. What do you think about the people who use, like, like don't you think three hashtags is enough? You know what? I think only one is, one is enough, and if you have more than one, it's too many. And the one that you put should be hilarious. Yeah. And it's a requirement that your, your hashtag is, is brutally hilarious. The worst, too, is, like, do you ever have someone comment on your social media? Like, you see it like you see it coming in in real time, you know? And you're also texting with them, and they're not replying to your text, but they're, they're doing shit on your social media page? Like, yeah, wait a minute. You, Abe, that's you. What do you mean? That's you. I could only communicate with you through Facebook. Well, you don't text me. If you would text me, I'd write you back in two seconds. Oh, because I, I guess we don't have each other's numbers. I guess we're not really friends, are we? Yeah, we're not. We're fake friends. We're Facebook friends. Hey, do you remember running into each other after, I don't know if there was a street festival or whatever, but we were on Lincoln Avenue and running into each other randomly and then going into the bar. Oh, yeah, and we drank a bunch of shots. What was that bar? It was like for, I think it was a day of some street festival and you were there with your wife. You weren't married yet. And... Yeah. What else was but going I, on there? But we were like, we were literally doing shots like, like tomorrow wasn't going to come. <laughs> it was, we were, I mean, I think we both walked in a little tipsy and then yeah. for some reason it was like, uh, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's order 12 shots. Yeah. Right now. Like not one at a time, but like, let's order like 12. Yeah. It was ridiculous. I think Roker was with us, wasn't he? Yeah. He, and you know, he already had like 75 shots. <laughs> but he always is the same character. There's people that have that gift that no matter no matter how many drinks they have, they're the same kind of crazy dude that they were were before they started drinking. Oh yeah, the same guy. The only difference is Roker's eye starts to droop, and then like his he, he eventually he falls on the ground. But until until he falls, you're right. He's at the exact same demeanor as drink one. Eventually he like it's like um, you know when 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 you faint, like your body just resets. It's kind of like that. He just drops, and then he's back to normal. But until he drops, he's he's the exact same demeanor. Yeah, that's another. I mean, you guys have get, got a crew that have been together, like, as friends from radio for quite some time. Oh, yeah. I mean, literally, since for me, 2001. Wow. And look at Ryan. Ryan is now on, like, the number one radio show in Los Angeles. Kevin, well, actually, number one and number two. Are Kevin Mano and Ryan? I mean, they're not the hosts; they're co-hosts. But whatever, they're the co-hosts of the top two morning shows in Los Angeles. What? This is crazy. 
Yeah, like they're and actually, you know what? You should send them that song because I bet both of their stations are perfect for that kind of music. I mean, it would be like that's the kind of music both of those guys play at their stations. I definitely will. I'm gonna, you know, do the old Chicago. Hey, buddy. <laughs> hey, buddy. It's been a while. Do me a favor. Yeah. Got a favor to ask. Hey, I haven't talked to you in a year. What's up? Uh, <laughs> hey, can you do this? Uh, is it? Do you find it weird, like talk, um, trying to promote your stuff? Is, is it? Do you have to have weird conversations with people? Because I feel like people get real weird about that stuff. Uh, you know, this is the first time I've had to like spearhead it. You know, the Love Hammers really. I didn't have to spearhead anything. They literally just let me be you know, pretend rock star and don't make him do anything but literally step up to the stage and scream. Like, that was my only responsibility, and it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. But with this, you know, I'm on my own. So, yeah, having to make those connections and then, you know, having people pitch you like, hey, be on my, you know, be on my Facebook Live interview show. (laughs) And I'm, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, you live in Arkansas, and I don't know how that's going to work. Well, you see, I'm going to call you on Skype, and then I'm going to film it with another camera and put it on Facebook Live. Yeah, that's pretty, that's getting pretty wild. So there's some, you know, I, for the most part, with, you know, it, this isn't, de- you know, Swedish death metal, so I'm not kind of getting into, like, really some kind of creepy nature of, of existence. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for... It's been pretty good. I haven't had any scenarios that have been really weirding me out. Are you going to play? You're, you're going to go on tour, right? I think, you know, we're going to, I've got a lot of uh, Chicago-based stuff or Midwest stuff booked that we're kind of releasing one at a time. And then we're going to release a single in the Midwest predominantly because it's going to be hard for me to get to, say, Spokane, Washington. Yeah. But uh, I'm just going to follow the lead of the of the single. And if it's having success, then I could go all around the Midwest, and I'm, I'm psyched to do that, and we're kind of on board to do that. If it makes its way to the coast and we have success there, I'm, then I'll take it out there. But I'm not going to kind of put put a tour out there and then wonder if anybody's going to come to the shows. It's got to be a driver, and that driver would be the single. Well, don't you have your gaggle of MILFs? Like every Love Hammers concert I've been to, there's like in the first seven rows – it's like all MILFs, and they all want to have sex with you and, and your drummer, of course. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all the drummer. He's shirtless. He's a Greek god. Now, you know, he's in such good shape, always. He looks like and, the dude from the Misfits. He looks like Doyle. That's the kind of shape he's in. Yeah, like unbelievable. Whereas I used to be the guy that had the shirt off, was, you know, jump around the front of the stage. And then he's in such good shape that I'm embarrassed. That to, to even take my shirt off because he's just, you know, it doesn't even work. But that, I tell you what, that brings a lot of people to the show. The fact that he's just back. His, na- his name is Bobby Corellis. If you're a, a chick and you want to check him out, Bobby Corellis. Actually, it, K-O-U, I think it's like K-O-U-R-E-L-I-S or something like that. But if if you, I, I was actually at a Love Hammers concert and you, you actually said that. You're like, you know, I used to always take my shirt off, but, you know. Bobby back there is just ridiculous, and now I'm I'm ashamed to take my shirt off. He literally, he's in such good shape that he brings on shame in the lead singer of a rock and roll band. I mean, that's that's in good shape. And I love how he always takes the shirt off immediately. Like it's it, you know he doesn't even think about it for like he doesn't even let one song play where the sh- shirt gets wet. He just takes it off when he sits down at the drum kit. 
Yeah, and I like he's like, do you want to sing? He's like, no. Do you want to come up and make an announcement? It's just, no. Do you want to do this? No. He doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to play drums. <laughs> but he doesn't want to do. He just wants none of the glory of coming. Like come up in front in front of the stage. The one song I ever got him to sing was La Bamba. He I love La Bamba. He loves the song La Bamba. And I said, Bob, I'll play drums terribly, and then you go up in front of it. And he did it. And as you can imagine, the crowd absolutely loved it. Where I said, Get back behind the drums. You're going to take my job. Are the Love Hammers, are you guys going to do another album coming up, or is it just like, what you know, taking one thing at a time? Well, I mean, I'd love to do another record. I just met with Dino, and we discussed it. And the, the hard question is, is what everybody says is, do you do a full record? Do you do an EP? I don't know. I just think we get together and put out a whole record. And See, I, I disagree. I think that you go back to the days of, like, Buddy Holly, and you just mentioned Richie Valens. Like, he would put out a 45, and it would have two songs, the the, the 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 A side and the B side, and that was it. I think, like, have you heard the band Greta Van Fleet out of Michigan? Absolutely. Oh, my God. These guys are 19. I actually, I, I booked them. They're coming in studio here at The Loop. They're, two of them are seniors in high school. Two of them are 21. There's three brothers and their friend. This band, how, how awesome is this band? They're like a, a young Led Zeppelin. They're totally Zeppelin, and they and they actually they got the sound. The singer's got a great voice. They're doing a tour with the Struts right now. Yeah, and they're really they're blowing up. And uh, I, I'm impressed. I didn't know they were that young though. That's amazing. Yeah, two of them are seniors in high school. Whoa! Now that's a crazy life. But but my point with them bringing them up is that they only have four songs. Like if you go on iTunes, they have a four song EP, and that's it. Like. Don't I, I? I hate an album that has seventeen songs. Like I want to go back to the days of you know an album with like every Metallica album had like eight or ten. So I think ten songs is perfect. A rock album should have ten songs because then you could really take time with each song and enjoy each song. I think more than ten is too much. But I think now the way people are, you can't make money selling albums anyway. So why not put out a four-song EP, like your four best songs, and just get people excited about it, and then you could slowly put out more songs. But I think just putting out the whole album at once now, you don't get that bang anymore. Like, remember when Aerosmith put out Get a Grip? Like, they were on single number six. And no one, yeah. like when Crazy came out, which was like the sixth single, no one had heard Crazy. I mean, you know, because everyone didn't have the album. Now, when you get the album, you hear every song, and like, you know, there'll be seven you know, whatever, uh, Harry Styles songs in the top hundred songs, then that's it. It dies off. So I think if you slowly release the songs, it, it has a much bigger impact. Yeah. And you know what the hard thing that I realize is there's no attention span for most listeners or say even like promotion on social media. You don't really even have 30 seconds to grab attention. No. You got, like you got about eight. If you can't like grab them in eight seconds, it's like they're moving on. It's like such a different playing field than anything I've ever, any moment in time that I've ever lived through. I, I can't imagine being a kid going to school now. I can't even imagine. Oh, it's, yeah, you couldn't, like, you You got in, like, just like me. I feel like I'm 35. I feel like I'm so lucky because I got in with when radio was great, when all the great talk radio personalities, when music was great. I used to wait in line for concert tickets. I used to take the train to like rock records to get a Danzig, like the Danzig two video. I had to search the city to get that video. I had to, you know, scour the city for a CD. I wanted, I, I used to buy bootlegs 
That's the only way you could get a like a like I have a Rage Against a Machine bootleg I paid like thirty seven dollars for. Like now <laughs> I remember that. Like can you imagine that? I paid thirty seven dollars for a bootleg. Like, oh this is awesome, it's live music. Like you couldn't get that stuff. Now kids have everything. You go on Amazon, you click on it, you can literally get everything just at, at your fingertips. And I think it's ruined a lot of stuff, including concert tickets. When you Marty, do you remember waiting? I remember my first concert, nineteen ninety four, I was like thirteen years old. Aerosmith at the United Center. And it was an event getting the tickets, like waiting in line at, um, I think it was Blockbuster Music at the time, but like Jewel and Dominic's would sell tickets, Carson's would sell tickets, and you're out there waiting in line. It was like, it reminds me of like Wayne's World, like it was a party. Everyone was out there with like a boombox listening to Aerosmith, and everyone was like drinking in line. It's, it's like, that's that's gone, all that stuff. Yeah, they let you, remember at Chicago Ridge Mall, Carson's, ACDC, Mon- uh, money talks. I don't remember what what tour it was, but uh, you could stay out. You could stay out in the parking lot all night long. Oh yeah, one like rent a cop that that watched it. You could. They literally let you camp out like in your car, and everybody was drinking, and there was no police involvement other than the rent a cop that just made sure, basically made sure everybody stayed in line correctly. And not just music. Like I was around before the cell phone took over, so I used to memorize people's phone numbers. I used to memorize addresses. I used to have to like go to walk to you. Would, do you remember walking out of your mom's house, walk to your friend's house six blocks away, knock on his door? Hey, is Joe home? Oh no, Joe's not home. And then you would walk back home six blocks. <laughs> yeah, like that's all or, stuff that we got to do that kids today will have no idea what that's like. What was the call that your mom would do to bring you home for dinner or? to get you home like when it was like t- curfew basically time to come home is there a call that she did you mean like yelling outside yeah or was there like we had to be inside when the street lights went on on the street that was the indicator you had to get your ass at home my grandma would just be like hey get in here like she would just scream out the window that, that was pretty much it <laughs> and now people would think that lady's crazy oh yeah exactly like an old lady screaming out the window oh my god that woman's nuts but you're right everyone had someone screaming out the window like i used to play basketball in my alley till like three in the morning it was crazy yeah does anybody play kick the can anymore i don't think they do anything like they're so i think new technology has ruined everything that used to be fun for us yeah, we, we, I, I think we were in the golden age, and then we lived through we lived through grunge. I'm a little older than you, so I lived through glam rock and grunge. Yeah, you're you, you were you were really well. I think you were you and yeah, I think maybe you were born at, at the perfect time. You or I, somewhere in there, is the perfect time to be born because no one else will ever understand what we got to understand. Yeah, I, mean, I guess we we had a full fluid youth, and then. When you then when the cell phones and computers started taking over, you already had a memorable youth without it. So you understood you understood both the with and without. Whereas like after you, nobody would understand the without. They'd only understand everything with computers. So like you, you, you got in. Could you imagine when you were like I don't know fifteen? Like now you just text a girl like to hang out with them before you'd call their house. Like the dad would answer, and it, like it just wasn't like that. Oh, meet me at the park at nine p.m. or whatever, and then you just have to hope that she makes it. And if she doesn't make it, you're just fucked. Like now, you yeah, was- these kids are probably texting like dick pics in high school. <laughs> yeah, there there's so many less uh, 
uh, things in the way like parents and fathers that you had when you went you had to go you didn't meet up with somebody you had to like go to their house and pick them up you know you literally had to like present yourself <laughs> to the dad and it was no just meeting at mcdonald's at least not for me it was always like a requirement you had to like even to like go to mcdonald's together you had to pick them up from home oh yeah it was a lot it was, a lot. It was very it was good because then the parents get a good read who is this kid yeah like now i'm sure by the time the kid is at your house he's already like done some sick shit to your daughter no oh. like it's yeah, not i'm are you, are you having kids? Are you, are you are you planning on yeah, doing that? I'm having one now. Oh, she's pregnant now? Oh, that's right. Daughter, now I'm scared. Oh fuck. Yeah, right out, right straight up. Well, baby number one, girl. We have a gr- baby girl in August. So. Of course, you're having a girl. You knew that would happen. Yep. And uh, the thing is, I never. You know, you, people always talked about it like, oh, it, you know, it's it's scary having a girl and I never really considered it because I wasn't really thinking about kids and now I'm like oh my god all the things to think about already that I'm like you know getting my gun ready (laughs) (laughs) I I got my uh, concealed carry permit some young prick some like young Marty Casey taking your daughter out on a date you'd probably you would kill him I'm just like uh I don't. I don't think you guys though. You guys were always like pretty. You guys aren't. The Love Hammers were never scumbags. Like you guys were always very, you know, like feminists. I would say in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, just I don't know. We all we were all the same type of character. So there really wasn't one crazy lunatic in the bunch that you know came here from New York City and then he's in the band <laughs> and he, he's like you know changes the whole dynamic. Of yeah. the group. we were literally on the same t-ball baseball team from, <laughs> uh, all of our you know parents are still together you know like all all the you know bob and dino and billy's parents they were always all together so there wasn't like any like ha- you know half home type of scenario and somebody rebellious we were all pretty we came from really good backgrounds so our level of insanity was always just more like we were just south side drinkers we were never we didn't really do a lot of drugs and I think that's the testament to why we were so successful for so long. And it took a long time to become successful, but it was just because we didn't have other things that tore anybody out of the bunch. And aren't you glad that you waited till now to have a kid? Because I feel like people like when, when you have a kid at like 20, I feel like you're really missing out on a lot of stuff. Yeah. I kind of feel like I'm, I've had so much time to spend on myself you know, just thinking about yourself and yourself as number one. And I'm 43. I'm, I'm much older than you. So I'm at the, I think, last tier of age that you could kind of start a family. I mean, I guess you could go older, but I'm old to start a family. But I can't tell you it doesn't feel like the most perfect time. Oh, yeah, perfect. Your life is just like you got discretionary income, you got things lined up, you know, you're not kind of like I, uh, the dream's been realized and now it, it gets to continue. You know, it's not like I got to sacrifice everything and put it all into my dream, but you have a kid at home. Like, not, I don't have to do any of that. So I kind of feel like I, I got the best of what I could do with my life. And then once you have a kid, you just hand that all over. You're very secondary. And I'm prepared for that because I'm really, I'm sick of talking about myself. I'm sick of thinking about myself. It's been many years of, of just thinking about me. So I'm like, let's think about 
let's focus on something else. You're not going to name your daughter like Apple, are you? No, then not even a possibility. Okay, good. Because I feel like people, they, 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 I know they want to give their kid their own. And, and by the way, I hate, like you were having a boy, the worst thing you could do is name the kid Marty because the kid deserves his own identity. And I think yeah, when, you, when, when you name your kid after yourself, it's a very egotistical thing to do. And yeah, name, you cannot name somebody Marty. How did my parents name me Marty? <laughs> it's a weird name. It really is a weird name. It kind of works with my last name, so I get away with it. Wasn't well, your name Mar? Isn't it Martin, or is it actually Marty? No, it's Martin. Oh, okay. It's just such a when I when I think about it though, it's just such a weird name. I'm like, wow, Marty, weird. Yeah. Name. Well, my name's Abraham. I mean, you know, that's awesome. <laughs> it's not awesome when you're a kid, though. Yeah, but it feels you know you know what they thought of when they have you like. He will do great things. It's such a big name. It's a lot to live up to, Abe. Yeah, but it's my dad's name, so they just gave me my dad's name. <laughs> we have the same name. It wasn't there wasn't much thought put into it. What did they give you for middle name? I don't have one. That's the best. I didn't either, but I chose Xavier. Oh, you wait, you picked a middle name later in life? Yeah, I got that. My parents didn't give me one. They said that, you know, we gave you a first and last name. We f- at least figure give you the opportunity to create a middle name. So you, why would you pick Xavier? You know what? It was my name. Na- my neighbor had a ghost named Xavier, and I just thought it was the coolest name. But it was always because all my IDs when you're growing up in like grammar school and in high school, since you don't have a middle name, they just put X. Oh, really? <laughs> it was always Martin X Casey. So then when I found my neighbor had a, the, the ghost Xavier, I'm like, that's my middle name. <laughs> so do you go to City Hall and legally change your middle name to Xavier? You know what? I just all I did really is I when you sign up for your license, I just put X. And then it just from there, when you sign up for credit cards, I always just put Martin X Casey. And then it just kind of became, and then it was on all the documentation. It's not like I had to change it. It just kind of, oh wow, it, it, it just goes into existence. But here's the thing: I don't know if you did that today. Now that they, you yeah, know, everything's driven by computers, they'd be like, no, we don't see the middle initial listed on the birth certificate. But back then, I think it just they're like, okay, it's X. It's yeah, like. <laughs> Yeah, like back then it was just a loose sheet of paper that said Martin X Casey on it. And they're like, I guess that's it. So it works a little different now, but yeah. So we, I guess you got you got a lot of thinking to do. You got to choose a middle name. This is a life-defining event. I should I should choose a middle name. Why not? And then I'll just put it, when I get my license renewed, I'll just write it in and see what happens. I hope people post like thoughts on middle names for you. <laughs> this is a great contest. That, you're right, it is. What what should my middle name be? You don't think it's like, fuck stick, Abe, eat a dick, cannon. Oh, you should do a contest. No, I, I, I actually, I don't want a middle name, actually. I, I It just seems like too much. Really? It's too much for you to have a middle name? I mean, it would be cool if it was like Ma- like Abraham Maximus Cannon. Like, that sounds, or Leonidas, Abraham Leonidas Cannon. That's a powerful name. Oh, that's, see, you always got to think the initials, too. AMK is pretty solid. AMK is good. My name is Abraham Maximus Cannon. That sounds pretty good. I think you nailed it first try. <laughs> I think that's 
So sign up for a credit card when you're at the Cubs game, and they'll give you like you know ten thousand free Southwest Airline miles. Yeah, <laughs> just, put it, just put it on there. There you go. I'm from the West Lawn neighborhood. They call me Abraham Maximus Cannon. It's kind of pornish. It is. That would be a great porn name. Yeah, it's the Maximus. You throw that in there. That's. Uh... Because it really, it it really has the power of Abraham and Cannon are both pretty powerful. But then if you put Maximus in the middle, that just mm. yeah, it's a mountain of a name. Um, there's one last thing I want to get to before we. I just want to mention your your music one more time at the end. But did you see that the new operation that the police have going to get the jerk off massage parlors? Do you see what they're calling it? What do they call it? They're calling it Operation Hot Towel. <laughs> I swear to God, me. that's what they're calling it. You're kidding me. No. So my, here's my question, and, and I'll be honest. I've never been jerked off at an Asian mas- massage parlor. But my question is, do they put a hot towel on your dick? Is that why they're calling it Operation Hot Towel? Operation Hot Towel. Like, is that why? Do you think because they're jerking you off with a hot towel? Or is it just like hot towel because, is there, do you think there's another meaning for it? I think they should call it Operation Dirty Sock. <laughs> <laughs> You'll I, put, think put, been, I think they've aligned this campaign wrong. I is, think is, it's <laughs> Operation Dirty Sock. Have you ever been to one of those massage parlors? I've never been to a massage parlor in, in like, that kind of seedy nature. But my best massage parlor story is we were all in Vegas and a buddy of ours came and we had a show at the hard rock and a buddy of ours came and he's like, I'm going to go down and I'm going to get a massage. And you know, cause everybody in Vegas, he assumes is really hot. Oh yeah. So he calls down from the room and he goes, you know, I'd like a massage. And they're like, would you like a man or a woman? He said, I, I, I'd like a woman. So he goes, great. They're like, we're available right now. So he hops out of the room and he goes down to get his massage. Dino, our bass player, being the genius, calls, just hits redial, and he calls, and he goes, hey, I just called for a massage. Can you actually make it a man? <laughs> I just changed my mind. So our buddy goes down. He's laying down. He's in the room. You know, he didn't see the massage therapist. So he walks in, a big dude, and then he was too nice to be like, no, 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 no. So finally, when he comes back in the room, we're like, we're dying laughing. He's like, you jag off. You absolute jag off. When I was, when I was 21, I went to Vegas with my buddy who literally, I think the only reason why he wanted to go to Vegas was to get a hooker. So we were out at like, I don't know. I think it was called rum jungle. I don't know if you remember that club in Vegas. It was like three in the morning. So this, this uh, cab driver, we're, we, we were, and we drank a ton. So we get in the cab and he's like, Hey, I want to get some pussy. So he's like, the cab driver looked like Send Dog from Cypress Hill. The cab driver takes us to, I don't know where it was. It was the scariest area ever. So my buddy goes in. I wait outside. He goes in. He pays, I don't know how much money. And then he sends me a text. And he's like, oh, they want more cash from me. So he, he goes, what should I do? I'm like, I don't know. And I was like, I was actually scared. That's how bad this area was. So he's like, um, it goes on for a while longer, whatever. So he texts me again. He's like, I'll be out in a minute. I'll be out in a minute. And I was waiting outside for like an hour in this shitty neighborhood. So I walked in, 
walk past the desk, and this huge guy comes up like he was going to kill me or something. I knock on the door, and my buddy is like, he's he comes to the door, and he has all this cucumber melon lotion all over his stomach. And he's like, what are you? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to come, I'm going to come. So what happened was, he paid the girl $600, and she just put a bunch of cucumber melon lotion all over him and just kept trying to get more money and more money. <sighs> so she, he claimed, now, now who knows? He might be lying. But he claimed she didn't even like jerk him off or anything, and he paid that's her six hundred dollars. That's a that's like a that's a car payment. Yeah, that's insane. Who needs to be jerked off that bad? Like, that, that, and that's why that's what I don't get about strip clubs too. Like, if you want a girl just to rub on you and you're going to pay her like five hundred dollars, what what are you getting out of that? Plus, that's a that's the thing. It's a very awkward scenario too. It's always a very you know, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, hello. And then it's, you ask for a lap dance. It's such an awkward scenario. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, just too, too weird. I'm a conversationalist. So that's, it's a, it's, you know, you want to have a conversation and they're dancing. And it just doesn't work. Th- that is weird. Yeah. Like you, when you're at a strip club, they talk to you about whatever, like th- they might be talking to you about like the bears. Oh, you're from Chicago. Oh, Jay Cutler sucks, blah, 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 blah. Then at some point, at some point they say, oh, uh, could I take you in the back for a dance? Like, how weird is that? <laughs> it is a weird setup. You're right. If it happened anywhere else, you'd be like, this is absolutely crazy. This is like grandma yelling out the back door. <laughs> but for, like when you walk in there, it's like, well, that's how it works here. That's how the world works here. You have like really strange conversations. Well, you pay $60 per song. <laughs> <laughs> you literally walk out of there spending everything you made in the previous two weeks. Yeah. And then, and, and, and not, nothing's better. Nothing's changed. I also like, I like your uh, Operation Tube Sock or whatever you said. Like, is it, it would be funny if they did that. Like, bring, bring out Tube Sock. Put Tube Sock on his dick. Time to put time time finish time finish him off with tube grab your or, or do they make the guy grab his own sock out of his shoe and put it on his dick? You want you want finish put put sock around dick put your sock around dick. They usually limp out of there with a wet sock. Yeah, like uh, honey, why why is one of your socks wet? Oh, uh, uh, oh, like man. how do you, how do you explain one wet sock? Oh. Oh, Operation Wet Sock. Oh, I fell in the uh, the Groundhog Day puddle with this foot, and uh, but how come your shoe's not wet? Uh, it's hard to explain this one. All right, well, Marty, if people want to find your music, or what, where do you want people to go to find all your stuff? You can go to martycaseymusic.com, or you can go to Facebook artist page. Pretty much anywhere. It's just it's a Google universe. You Google Marty Casey, get a YouTube. And just check out the album, The Ground You Walk, on May 26th, Spotify. It's out there. Give it a listen. If you like it, you can purchase it. Come see a show. We've got some cool stuff coming up. And uh, I'm looking forward to hanging with you, too. Maybe maybe we can get you out to, like, announce a show or something if you're if you're local at one of the best. Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be cool just to get to hang and, like, order 15 <laughs> on the fly. <laughs> get, get Roker. Maybe we'll get the uh, Mano Brothers when they get back yeah. to town. We'll get to get the old band back together. I, I want to end this with my favorite Love Hammer song. Do you, do you have any idea what my favorite Love Hammer song is? Uh, Straight as an Arrow? No. 
Uh, oh, this town. That's right. Oh, yeah. Hi, Marty. It was awesome talking to you, man. Great talking to you, too, brother. I'll talk to you soon. I love that middle name. <laughs>
David Blaine, your magic is real and I believe in you.